Radio shows you love from the people you know. This is Sam Talks Technology. Hello, good afternoon and welcome everyone. It's a Wednesday afternoon. Yes, and it's Sam Talks Technology. I'll get my teeth in even. Um, it's Sam Sethi, of course, and I'm really pleased to say I'm joined by a very good friend of mine, Glenn Shoesmith. Hello, Glenn. Hey, Sam. Good to be here. Good. Um, Glenn, uh, you are the chief architect now of a company called Journey. Yep. Which is spelled J-R-N-I. Yeah, which took us uh, took us a while to get the right spelling and the right pronunciation, but uh, it's good. It's a nice four-letter domain name. Indeed. Now, most people might know it as Booking Bug. That was its uh, incarnation name, its original name. Um, so maybe you can explain very quickly who Journey or what Booking Bug is or was, so you know no. people can get a handle of what the company does. Absolutely. Our first ever name actually was Reservex, but we could never get the .com. I know, he's pulling a funny face now. Uh, <laughs> I'm just thinking, I- I'd love to be in the branding meeting for that one. <laughs> it's called I Could Get the Domain Name. Yeah, it's the classic uh, classic one, but then we changed it to Booking Bug. It's all right. I had one journey. called Vcosis. So, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so what we do, you know, basically, and it's an interesting thing about the name change, and, and I'll be happy to chat about that, but, you know, Booking bug, and we have a swear jar at the office now. Every time you say uh, booking bug instead of journey, you have to put a pound in the swear jar. Excellent. Um, and we, we were doing it in client meetings last week as well, and they were, thought it was hilarious. Um, but basically, we specialise in you know appointments, queuing, and event systems for enterprise businesses. So most listeners probably will have actually booked something with us, but not known it's us. So, for example, we power the booking systems for all of like the personal shopping experiences for people like John Lewis and Selfridges and Devon Devon Devon. Yeah, you're having that same teeth yeah. problem, yes. Um, we work for a lot of banks. We work for a lot of government. Um, so, you know, if you ever lose your visa and you have to book an appointment at the Foreign and Commonwealth Office um, for an emergency appointment um, anywhere in the world, we run the embassy appointment booking system for every embassy in the world for the UK government, that kind of thing. But again, we're very white label. We're very behind the scenes. Um, so it's quite nice, actually, sometimes. And you see, you know, we, make, we, take, million, we take about sort of five million bookings a month. Um, but most people would never know that they've used us, which right. is cool. So, I mean, from the, from a layman's point of view, I mean, you know, when I first heard of Booking Bug, I'm thinking, oh, is this just a simple front-end HTML form with, you know, a little Google back-end spreadsheet to capture the results in? And it's not. It's enterprise software. Um, so the name Journey, I guess, describes the fact that it's not just that entry point of the form but it's the whole workflow into the enterprise is that how it's yeah it's evolved yeah no absolutely and it's one of those things as you you start out you know the problem with sort of appointment booking is is it just sounds like a calendaring system which makes it sound quite simple and one of the things we wanted to do with the name change was make sure we were focused on the business value and the business problem we were solving for customers because if you go, well, we're a calendaring system, they go, well, that sounds a bit like Excel. I'm struggling with mine. <laughs> um, that sounds a bit like Exchange and Outlook yes. or, or Google Calendar. So why can't we use that? And what does this bring extra? When actually, if you start to say, well, what we're really good at is the customer journey, the customer funnel. We're really good at getting customers to engage. And particularly, actually, we're brought on often to bring customers from um, offline to online or online to offline. So everyone a couple of years ago was all about getting them on the website, getting them to buy from the website. Now everybody with a physical presence still, you know, they're struggling with their stores. So actually they're trying to get them from the website back into the stores right. where they can offer a great experience, where they can offer some real value add. Because if they've still got those stores, whether it's a bank branch or whether it's a department store, 
they've got people there, they've got experts there, and they want to bring the customers back into the shops. So it is about that journey. It's about the customer journey and being able to specialise and focus on that and solve that business problem and actually bring extra value to the businesses um, has been quite transformative for some of our clients. Okay. So... How did it all start for young Glenn? Where was the <laughs> eureka moment out of the bath? Well, I've always been, you know, I've been a developer forever and I've always been uh, one of these sort of sort of struggling, not quite entrepreneurs, but someone with a bee in his bonnet and a, and a problem to solve and, and, you know, someone that spends his weekend coding things. Um, I sometimes have a huge advantage, I think. Is it both an advantage and a disadvantage being an entrepreneur who's actually a coder? No, I think it is a total advantage, personally. Because, no, that is, it is... Sometimes, but actually in the early days when you were fundraising, they were like, you're a coder? No, no, no. We are, you need to have an MBA. You need to be a business oh, guy. Oh, no. MBA, and excuse my French, and I have one. That's <laughs> more bullshit than anyone else. And I, sorry, Ofcom, I did swear, but I apologise. But that's what an MBA really stands for. But there was a thing. I mean, and that's changed. Silicon Valley has changed that mentality, right? The, you know, the geeks will rule the earth. Um, but the but back you know 2006 2007 2008 the London attitude was still very much like we invest in business people not techies because they just went but I can hire some techies in Kiev so you or why, India or India yeah or wherever <laughs> um, but but actually they realised that big deep complicated technology problems actually having a strong technology leadership and actually you know creates value you just look at you know the number of technology companies in the valley that were started by technical people yeah rather than just straight straight up MBAs. So the problem, so I was working for a bank at the time. So how I started the company was I was always working on little different things. Um, and, and I was struggling to book a squash court. And this was back in the days where, you know, they didn't have online booking systems for things. So the original concept of, of, of booking bug was very much around um, small businesses. We didn't originally sell to enterprise. We sold to SMEs. And it all started with squash courts. And we just, we were trying to win these things called the Olympics. Oh, yeah. It was going to be a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and the government was all like, yeah, participation in sport. Everyone should do more sport. And I tried to book a squash court to play with a friend. And I phoned up the local squash court. And they didn't really have a website. And they said, no, well, you can't book online um, because you, you need to pay in advance. And we can't take money over the phone, so you can't book over the phone. So you'll have to come to the squash court in person to pay for the squash court to go away to come back another time to play squash. I'm like, this is the stupidest thing ever. Yes. You're making it hard. For, I want to play squash. And you're going, no, nah, we don't really want you to do sports. We want to make it like difficult for you and inconvenient for you. So it's a hassle. And I'm like, this doesn't feel efficient. This definitely feels like, you know, there's a thing called the internet. And you know, they sell things online nowadays. There's a thing called e-commerce. 2008? This is actually about 2006 when I first okay. came up with the idea. And, you know, but, and I always said, I was like, Amazon will sell you anything, right? It, it won't make it hard for you. Jeff Bezos, if you want to buy something from Jeff Bezos at mm -hmm. two in the morning in your underpants, he will sell it to you and he will ship it to you before you can regret it. And I was like, service-based businesses need to do the same thing. You can't be like, you can only book that Pilates class between working hours Monday to Friday, right? If you uh, decide Can you please tell our local gym, because that's what they do. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? Well, well, they work on the theory that it's not fair that people could do that at two in the morning, so they turn the servers off. <laughs> I don't get it. One, one of our biggest clients is Nuffield, and they deliberately release all their classes at 7 a.m. Right. So we do a, I'm not sure I'm allowed to say how many bookings, but we do a terrifying seven-figure number of bookings for them every month. And most of those happen between, like, 7 and 7.05. Oh, completely. <laughs> My wife has an alarm set for 6.59, <laughs> leans out the bed, books it, and then goes back to bed. Yep. Yep. And if you don't book by, you know, quarter past seven, you've they're missed gone. out, they're gone. Yeah, so. you're on the waiting list. Fifteen yep. people have 
down. Yeah, I don't yeah. get it. Yeah, but that's but some of the big popular classes. That's that's the pressure on them, right? So so okay. So you you started um, you started booking. Well, it wasn't called booking bug then. Um, what, did, what, what did you code it in just for fun? Just uh, Ruby. Interest. Ruby. Ruby. Yeah. Was so, that what you did at university? Or no, it didn't exist then. Well, no, I guess maybe Ruby did, but Ruby on Rails certainly didn't. Right. So we. I was working for Bank of America at the time, and. You know, I was running projects in Java and, and C++. It was some fun internal fights of nerds between what was better, C++ or Java. Exactly. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I just rolled my eyes. I apologise. <laughs> yes. Um, but, but actually, we'd started to do some, like, web tools for the bank, and we got permission to start using Ruby because it was a bit cooler and it was a bit new, and Ruby on Rails was this, was this cool new tech. So... So, yeah, no, I didn't want to use, like, PHP or something that was, yeah. Although PHP now is the flavour of the month. <laughs> is it? <laughs> well, if, if you're building AI on Amazon's AWS platform, they seem to favour uh, PHP. Really? Yeah, Lambda and PHP and Alexa Lam- Skills and all that. Lambda? Do you mean Lambda? Lambda. Yeah, no. Oh, no I think they should rename it Lambda. I think it's the much Amazon more Lambarda. fun. I was... <laughs> Yeah, okay. You could tell you could tell I'm not really coding on there heavily. <laughs> all my all so I've written a lot of Lambda stuff and most of it's in Node. So I do okay. we do a lot of JavaScript and Node stuff. Okay. So we're releasing bits of the platform now where you can do all the server side scripts in Node for like very nice serverless infrastructures. Um and a lot of our front end now is single page web app. A lot of the Ruby code now just pushes out APIs. Okay. Well we'll come back to what what you're currently using on the enterprise level. Um, university, where was it quickly? Uh, Canterbury. Okay. University of Kent. Doing coding? Computer science. Yeah, okay. <laughs> just checking, just making sure it was. You weren't doing something weird and wonderful like farming or something. <laughs> no, my no ex- I, I need that now, though. Yes, we'll come back to that. My ex-boss in the city, is uh, he, he did a farming degree and then he was a city banker, so totally totally left field mm. anyway okay uh we've been joined by our good friend and co-host occasionally steve karminski hello hey steve good to see you and you so uh we we are going to continue steve jump in when you need to cool. obviously um so glenn uh booking bug it started you 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 had the business idea um like all entrepreneurs though you know we have the idea and then we have the challenge the challenge of raising funding challenge of growing the company the challenge of getting to version one or version two so so give us a little picture paint a picture of that journey of of first funding growth first clients type thing so gosh i mean you know because i was so I'm sorry, I say young, I was 30, but it felt so young at the time and certainly inexperienced. Um, I spent a long time talking to a lot of VCs and, and, I, and I make a joke that I think I've been rejected by every single VC in London, many of them twice. Excellent. Um, you, I think, you wear a badge of honor. Yeah, no, it's good. I mean, one of my best friends now, um, uh, Sean Seaton-Rogers from ProFounders, I think he rejected me three times, but we're now best friends, so it's okay. all good. Um, but... You know, the, the fundraising process was tough because I was in a situation... It's actually the, the, the good and bad of it actually being able to build the platform yourself, right? Because... So I just survived off my wife's salary as a children's librarian in Enfield. Very highly paid job. 
Right. Um, and basically, Baked beans for dinner every yeah, night? Pretty much, yeah. yeah. Oh, no, no. Free pizzas from tech events. Oh. Free beer and pizzas. That's where, yeah, that's where I met Yeah, you were sent Steve. out to go and get food. Exactly. So my wife would come along to all of them because that was our dinner. And she was known as Mrs. Bookingbug for ages in the community. <laughs> and she was like, do you, have a, do you work at a startup? She's like, I just turn up for the free beer and pizza. But, uh, um, but that's how you get by in the early days. But, you know, I was working flat out, um, you know, just coding it all myself. Um, I go back to I genuinely do mean I think being a techie uh, and being able to code it yourself is a massive advantage because yeah. I think you can cut out so much of that early cost that you just can't afford mm. but the trade-off was then when I spoke to investors they were like well how many clients do you have how many paying customers do you have and of course the classic problem is as soon as you've got paying customers then it's like well are you profitable and they're like well I'll invest when you're making this much revenue and oh. it's like you're struggling enormously it's like well I have no money for marketing I can write code but that's it and you get caught in this catch-22 whereas actually sometimes I wish if I hadn't had a product I could like I'm going to build this product if you give me investment like there's a there's an immediate stopgap, whereas because you have the tools in your hand and the ability to solve them, people are like, oh, well, I can kick the can down the road a bit. Every investor's like, oh, yeah, no, yeah, I yeah, think it's really interesting. Till it's de-risked. Come back, in, yeah, yeah. come back in three months, come back in six months, tell me you're doing better, and then when there's no risk in it, I'll invest. And it's like, well, that's... Yeah, I mean, I, I built a platform, and uh, we went to a VC who loved it, was ready to put a million down, and then the next day we got a phone call, well, actually, can you just go and get some revenue first, and then yeah. we'll come back with it? Yeah. I'm like, well, if you give me that money, I'll turn that quickly into revenue. But no, anyway, yeah. I, I fully understand the challenge, and I, and I really hate the UK mentality, but we'll talk about... Yeah. And, and that, that still continues to this day when everyone wants to fund scale-ups now and the, the seed funding's disappearing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's tough. That's tough. I mean, obviously, the SEIS and EIS have helped a lot in that sort of help de-risk um, some of those early investments you can now make, which is good, because those didn't exist back in my day. Um, so my first investment round actually was I was sort of introduced by a friend of a friend to for a, to a guy that worked actually you know in um, in just in the um, sort of financial markets, but he was really interested in the space. He was like, I think there's a real problem here. So actually, he really got the problem. So he put a bit of money in himself and he helped bring a syndicate together. Right. So my first actual sort of 200k angel in round was actually like a syndicate of like nine small angels all putting in like sort of and this is outside of SEIS and EIS you say uh, yeah um, I think was, EIS might have existed EIS existed but SEIS Steve didn't. you weren't one of those were you I wasn't unfortunately I was, I'm just checking I, just I was, in case I was locked out yeah I didn't that, I was, was, a, that was the second, second the second round. round there was a later round you wanted to come and invest on and I was like we weren't we were struggling at the time and obviously you know as an, as an entrepreneur you're like yeah no we're doing brilliant and I knew we were struggling and Steve was like oh I'll invest and I'm like, you're my friend. I don't want you to lose your money. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is the horrible uh, and, business and then, relationship. And then I genuinely got blocked out because whoever did invest w- w- took the whole round or took the whichever thing of the round that was, suddenly it was like no more investors. Oh, yeah. Um, but... Yeah, no, I would have. It's one of those things. Obviously, with hindsight, it would have been lovely to have you as an investor. But if it had all gone wrong, then Steve said it. Going in hindsight would have been lovely to be an investor as yeah. well. Now, but then, but then the flip side is yes, it's like letting your friends be investors. It's a business relationship, right? It's very hard. It's very hard. Well, I think it's the family round as well. That's the hard one when you yeah. go to your parents or, or close friends or brothers or sisters and say, you know, we've got this great idea. Can chip in a grand or two grand here or five grand or whatever? And so, it's big money for most people. So I owe so much to my dad. And this is back to the sort of 
the, the entrepreneurship story, right? That's like, is it luck? Is it hard work? And people always tell the success bits like, oh, yeah, no, the sort of, you know, Donald Trump, my dad only gave me a small loan and that helped me, in, you know. Yeah. The, the answer is I was very lucky, right? I was lucky that my dad was a computer programmer. He ran his own computing business. Okay. I worked for him for a bit. And actually, when I was starting out booking bug, he was supposed to be retired. And actually... The um, he was working for a pharmaceutical firm doing um, territory management systems and they wanted him to come back for another year or two and do like just a day or so a week but he'd retired so he didn't really want to start earning money because it messed up all his pensions so he said well I'll go and do the work for them you can build them and put all the money into booking bug nice thanks so, dad so yeah he basically worked for free while I did all the billing and just took all the money into, into the company which helped keep us alive for like a you know, year and a half to two years in the early days so, yeah, so I, I said to my dad recently, I was like, I wouldn't have any of this without what he'd done. Um, so, I, yeah, I owe him a huge amount. He didn't just write me a cheque. He actually went back to work and carried on working for, for nearly <laughs> two years. He really did give you sweat equity. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so um, who was your first client? Our first client was a small B&B in Utah. You know, you know how to pick them, <laughs> <laughs> and it was literally we uh, and I. So actually, I should yeah, I should know that it was uh, it was ten years ago. Because, there should be a plaque on the wall in the office somewhere. Maybe I could really find it because basically, um, it was my parents' fortieth. Long story, my parents' fortieth wedding anniversary, and we'd done this big trip. My wife's American, and we'd done this big trip with both in-laws. Okay, my par- my parents and her parents, and we decided to take a mule to the bottom of the Grand Canyon, a day down and a day up, with both of our parents. Okay. Yeah, exactly. There is, yeah. There, what, what were we thinking? Um, but it was actually really good fun. It was, it was, it was quite fun. Um, but but yeah, we stayed in some B and B, and they didn't have a booking system. And I was chatting to them, and I was like, oh, "I'm building this booking system." They were like, "That's cool. Can we use it?" And I'm like, "Yeah." I was like, "I don't have any customers yet, but do you want to be our first customer?" And they were like, "Yeah, we'll give it a go." Um, so yeah, then my first client was not a squash court. It was actually um, a, a run by two guys in um, it's somewhere in Utah. Okay, <laughs> and they they have no idea what you've yeah, what they started. Yeah. yeah, it's all their fault. So, okay, so you've, you, you've got your first client. You, you probably have just you and your wife, as you say, Mrs. Booking Bug. Yeah. Um, you're running around, getting yourself known in the industry, meeting people like Steve, Stu, Stewie Townsend, myself, yep. Tony Fish, the whole crew. Yeah. Um, and I did, um, so I had a guy in the US, Bock, so Mr. Gregory Bockenstetti, he came and joined me as well. So he's actually my wife's friend. So he was living in the US, um, but he joined me as a sort of co-founder because basically, although I was a good coder, and good at building technical enterprise architect systems, I was terrible at UX. My designs looked awful, and uh, and he was a front end designer, so that oh, was a good handy. partnership. Yeah. Is he still with the company? Uh, not in the moment. No, okay. Not anymore. So um, y- you've gone around. You- you've raised a small round, two hundred thousand. The the road map or the runway on that can't be very high in terms of you know is that we're talking several months maybe a maybe year run yeah about 12 18 months oh, and, that's and then good. we did we did a little com- a convertible okay to sort of keep that going all right so you've raised a little bit more money um when did you genuinely think you know i've got a business here this is gonna this is gonna go somewhere actually hello darling i don't need to go back to banking this might be our future well this is the problem it's like for the first year or two you know i was like i can get back to banking right I, you know my skills as a as a coder of like trading systems are still up to date and still in demand so for the first couple of years you're like yeah i can go back and then a your skills start to rot and you're like oh it's gonna be hard to go back and then mentally you just 
don't feel like you should go back to work for a bank again. And you, you then definitely got to the point that was like, I, I couldn't go back to banking. I'd ha- if I, if it all went wrong now, I'd have to go and find another startup or join another startup. Right. But like the, the, the emotional ups and downs of building a business don't, don't never hit stability. Even today, right? It goes up and down and up and down. The roller coasters of one day, you know, it's like, oh, we've got this massive deal. We're made, we're made, and then the deal doesn't happen, and then no, oh, it's the end of the company. And then, I mean, the, I think the lowest low point was when we were supposed to be doing the next round of funding and it hadn't come through. The investor had had some problems getting their fund closed, so we had an agreed term sheet. The investor had struggled to actually close their fund properly, so they sort of accidentally promised some money they couldn't quite deliver. They'd intended, they had good intentions, but at the end of the day, you know, couldn't to deliver. hell. Yeah. Um, but, and so they were like, it's going to be another couple of months, and I couldn't make payroll, right? And I've only got sort of 12 staff, but, you know, as soon as you say, guys, I can't pay you, they're going to be brushing, they're not going to be working on your system they're going to be brushing up their CV so I went to Barclays where I still had a good line of credit because I you know used to earn a lot of money and they're very good at not realising that you no longer earn any money <laughs> thank um, god for good yeah. banking system so that I was, so I took a I took a personal loan and you know an unsecured personal loan put it straight in the company bank account and made sure everyone got paid good um, on you well done <laughs> so I hadn't been at this point neither Bock or myself had been paid in three or four months either um, so we were surviving on fumes, and then I took a personal loan to make sure everyone else got paid. And then, luckily, the funding came in, because if it hadn't, then the next month, I would have... Yeah, it would have... That was closed day. Yeah. OK. Um, so, yeah. Why does everyone end up going down to the wire? <laughs> I mean, is, is, this, is this a rites of passage that we all have to do? I think so. I, you, yeah, yeah, basically, yes, it does. OK. Because <laughs> it seems to be that VCs never have an, an accelerator button. Yeah, no, Strangely, no. they're called accelerators, but they never have a button that accelerates their funding. No. Well, the thing is, you don't want the VC to know you're desperate either, right? Because if, if, if they smell blood in the water... I mean, luckily, actually, this, this VC was a very good, well-intentioned guy and he wouldn't have played any funny games. But you definitely know VCs that... And we've all met them, right? That if they smell blood, if they smell you're struggling, they'll, you know, use that to revalue the round right at the last minute. If they're like, oh, you, you're going to struggle. You really need the money now. Well, let's... let's Let's, let's talk re- about that. Term, yeah, let's change yeah. those term sheets, right? And or they, buy, or they just buy you in fire sale. Well, yeah, exactly. So hang on, I could, I could wait another month and then, yeah, get you for half the price or a third of the price or a fifth of the price. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So there's some pretty unscrupulous people. But try or, to avoid or, or people just shut the company now because they just literally run out of money because their hosting costs or whatever are just beyond what they can uh, afford. Yeah. yeah. And they don't want to specifically want to sell out to a VC or whoever and just give away everything. You sound like you're speaking from very personal experience. Not, no, not, <laughs> not, not for me, but I know a know, I know company that was literally went down that route and uh, yeah. they raised a seed round and they decided that they were going to get really big and they got really big really quickly and then they couldn't afford their hosting costs. And yeah. then they literally went around begging and... and the amount of equity people wanted because they could just say we'll wait literally a week and you run out of money yeah and so they close the company now yeah yeah okay so so when you took your first person on that for me when you start a company you know if, if you can code to whatever level uh, and clearly you code to a higher level than I can uh, but whatever level you code at um, that moment you take somebody on what did that feel like um, when you yeah, had to so, meet payroll every month well our, our, our first 
first person was was an intern that, that we didn't really pay a lot to and you know payroll was a fairly sort of simplistic thing in in, in those days here's your um, kick out mate off you go <laughs> exactly um uh, although I, you know i i'm definitely anti you know free interns and stuff and we generally refuse to use you know unpaid interns i don't think it's right and it's not actually legal it, but it's also you know, some people do it because they can get away with it and i think it's a very wrong thing to do to take advantage of you know people in need um but yes, yeah, so Vin was Vin. There's always a joke about Vin being employee number one, uh, and he's still there running. You know, he still um, works uh, managing a lot of our sort of technical expertise and customer expertise. So he was running all our support and stuff in the first time. Um, but yeah, because it sort of took such a long time to grow the company, right? You know, that after like five years of, of of building it, people were like, "You still haven't succeeded. You still haven't got anywhere. Why didn't you give up and try something else?" But it grew so slowly and so slowly that there was no one point that it was suddenly like, it's now a thing. So you weren't an overnight success then? <laughs> Funnily enough, no. No, well, I mean, you weren't dragged off on stage and told, like, look at these wonderful CEOs who've all funded themselves and made millions, and uh, you too can be one. Yeah, well, th- you, well, that's the thing, is that now I am occasionally, and it's like, hang on, hang on, no, 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 this took me years and years, and many people said I should give up, repeatedly, repeatedly said I should give up and do something else, and uh, clearly it wasn't working. And now they're like, oh, well done you for, for sticking with it. I'm like, yeah, but that wasn't your advice <clears throat> three years ago, right? Um, but it's it's tough. But I always said it's like, the problem is, it, timing is everything, right? The number of companies I've seen where someone had a great idea, and even they had the ability to execute on it, but the timing was wrong. And three years later, someone else with exactly the same idea and exactly the same ability to execute succeeded because their timing was better. Like you, You've got to get everything right. You've got to get the idea, the execution, and the timing, and all the funding and everything else. Yeah. So, yeah, it didn't work. But I was like, but I still think there's a massive market for what I'm doing. And if someone said give up on Booking Bug and start something else... You'd always it's, be wondering. Well, it's still the best idea I've got. I don't have a better one. Yeah. So I'd do the same thing because I still think there's a massive market for it. I just think the timing needs to be right. And equivalently, now everyone... And say, this is the other thing, is people are like, wow, you know, the, the market's really moving in your direction. You've really got the timing right. I'm like, I sort of got the timing right by sitting around for a really long time, <laughs> waiting for that bus to turn up and pick me up. And, and now here we are, which is great. Yeah, often uh, when I read the... Uh, well, you've got a two-year-old and a five-year-old. Yep, two so girls. If you, if you ever read them the book, The Little Red Hen, that is the patron saint of entrepreneurs. <laughs> that is who I would love to be the patron saint, because that poor little hen, who will help me sow the field, who will help me bring the crop in, who will help me water it, all those things she goes through. And, of course, nobody helped. But then, of course, when she's got the corn and it's turned into a lovely loaf of bread, who will help me eat it? And, oh, everyone comes out the woodwork then. And so I always said, you know, that's the patron saint of entrepreneurs, really. (laughs) Little red hen. Um, Okay, so one of the interesting things reading up about, you know, yourself and Booking Bug... um, was where you raised your money. You moved, I think, to the US, to yep. Boston. Can you talk us through what that process was? Why Why did you feel the need? I mean, you often, you just said earlier, you know, you, you, Sean Teeson Rogers is a friend of yours. I'm sure you, you know half a dozen of the London well-known uh, VC angels, Sol Klein, you know, Nick yep. Brisbane, all the... Oh, all Saul, Saul turned me down. Robin told me to, turned me down three times at least, right. I think. But I love Robin, because every time he turned me down, he, he'd help do an introduction. So he actually introduced me to most of my earliest investors as well. Right, OK. Um, and several people that then joined the business. Um, so I owe him a huge debt, and he was brilliant at supporting. He just didn't write a check, and that's okay. completely fine, actually. All if, it's not his, if it's not his, you know, no. bread and butter that he wants to get into, that's great. Yeah. But, um, so yeah, so you, you, 
I, I guess what made you go, you know, go west, go young west. man? Well, you know, there was a very faddish thing where every entrepreneur wanted to be in the valley, of course, and everyone was trying to raise money in the valley. And I went on some, you know, classic sort of go go and experience Silicon Valley investor trips and all the rest of it. And I could see that everyone was taken in by the shininess and the money and the the nicer weather um, that, that the valley has. But but actually, I realised that you know most companies would fail over there. And, and, and I think that's been proved in the number of UK startups we've seen that have tempted to move to the Valley and just fail. And again, you see the one that succeeded and everyone's like, well, I can, they did it, I can do it. But the reality is... Yeah, I mean, we, how would you class these then? Steve, you might, might have an opinion as well. Huddle, failure, success? Well, long-term, I mean, initially success, but um, yeah. long-term, they, they went bust. Yeah, they sold for what they raised. Yeah. OK. Skim links. They're still, they're, they're, still they're still going. They're still going, so. Okay. Uh, and then what was Nick Nick's company? Um, Data Sift. Data, yeah. Data Sift yeah. is still going, going very well, I think. But Nick's out of it now. He's, yeah. he's, well, he moved to something and he's racing. He's drives he racing. He spends time driving racing cars. I'm very jealous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about no, your... InfoSum. He has a new startup called InfoSum. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll talk about your future as well <laughs> later on. Um, okay. So, would you... But, they're, the, they're the ones that I can think of that's on my head who went who went valley side. Yeah. Um, so, the, the, we needed to go to the US because we... There was, you know, there's a couple of reasons. There's a selfish reason about valuation, right? And I think, you know, if you look at a SaaS business, the multiples you get. And someone said, you know, you'll get 4X in London you'll get 8x in the valley but you can get 6x in new york right it's literally that like your valuation steps up the multiples that people are willing to pay the further west you go but you know let's be and, clear and the also valley. the further west you go the less revenue you have to have the less there's <laughs> more on the have an idea with lots of users and and yeah. we'll fund that rather yeah. than the further east you go it's the we want revenue and, and we want traction and yeah. But let's be clear, the Valley VCs are all like, you have to, I'm not travelling to London for your board meeting, you have yep. to come over here, you have to move your company here, which means, and this is the huddle thing, is that actually you go from being a big player in a small pond to being a minnow in a massive, like, massive ocean. And suddenly your money doesn't go as far, you don't have the influence or impact you used to have, and suddenly it, that, that extra money that you raise doesn't really go as far as you'd think. Whereas New York... VCs are willing to come to London. They're not. It's not such a weird thing. You know, it's as long a flight to London for them as it is to the Valley. Yeah. So they don't mind it so much. They're much more sort of Anglo, you know, Anglophobe, Anglophiles rather than Anglophobes. Right. And and that helps enormously. So we and we also realised more of our customers in the US, and we needed to set up a US office. We needed introductions to yeah, US those sales U- hires. Those Utah bed and breakfast guys weren't going to come <laughs> to London for, for that sales and marketing conference. Exactly. But you know, we we sort of had the the UK you know retail market sewn up. You know, we're used by pretty much every single department store. You know, we're used by a lot of clients from like Pets at Home to Halfords to you know, you go to like a retail park. I can go client, 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 client. Nice. Right? So, which is Cha-ching. great. Yeah, but then, of course, you like, well, actually, you know, those two that aren't clients is, you know, it's home sense, and they don't need a booking system. So you end up going, well, that's our market done here. Where do we go? And you have right. to go, the U.S. is a big growth market, both for banks and retailers. Um, and it's funny, we won a, um, a big toy store recently, and, and Kareem, my commercial director, stood up in the company, he's like, we've got this toy store. What's the, what's the most famous toy store in the world? And, of course, all the Brits go, Hamleys. And he's like, what? No, it's FAO Schwartz. 
The one from, and I go, what? What? Yeah, exactly. Which is the one from Big. Do you remember Big, yeah, the movie, yeah, where, where he dances on, on the, the that, That's yeah. F.A.O. Shorts. So okay. if you ask an American what the famous Toy Story is, it's F.A.O. Shorts. You ask a Brit, it's Hamleys. Gotcha. So, but yeah, we needed to get a more American view. We needed to hire more American people. So getting a, a U.S. VC made sense, and particularly a New York, VC, New York or Boston. So we found a nice we, introduction from um, a lawyer friend said, you know, I know these guys in New York. Um, do you know Dan Glazer? Mm, I, the name rings yeah. a bell, yeah. Yeah, very good, experienced New York, London lawyer. Okay. Um, he helps introduce us. So, and yeah, that was great. So, uh, Boston it was then? Yes, yeah, so our US office was Boston mainly because Kareem, my commercial director, um, his mother lived in Boston, which is as good a reason as any. Um, I worked for a company called CMGI. They were based in Boston. And they in the one, they were the hottest 1.0 startup in the world. I lived in Boston for a year. I, bro- I broke a car in Boston. I didn't realise in winter that you should never leave the car in, in with the handbrake on. Right. You just leave it in gear because everything's automatic over there. Yeah. And when it goes down to minus 30 and the brake pads freeze onto the, onto the well, in those days, drums, um, and one wheel is spinning very fast and the other wheel is not okay. spinning at all because it's frozen solid, then you leave the car park and people are staring at you and pointing, and then you hear a bang. <laughs> um and then you have to get out of the car because it is minus 30 outside with a blown, literally one tyre just in shreds and, and the other one just solid there. And, and um, yeah, and then you have to call out whatever, who's the equivalent of the AA, the AAA. Yeah. And, and, and then they laugh at you and then they tell you you've blown the powertrain, the rear wheel, differential, um, obviously the tyres. And uh, yeah, it was, uh, and that was good. They gave me a new company car the next day, so it was fine. <laughs> Okay, so did you did you have to relocate you and your wife to Boston, or did you have the joy of just flying to board meetings? Um, no, we we well, all the board meetings are here still. Oh, so, so I, 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 I would have thought though with a VC, so the VC was happy to come to your board meetings in London. Yes. Oh, excellent. I did discover later that actually it turned out he was also sending his son to school in London. Oh. So I, I think there was a double benefit for him. It's like I can fly over the board meetings and you know see my son. And to school. who paid for those flights? Did you <laughs> did you pay for those flights? I, it's not something for discussion, but. Uh, <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, no. He comes over. That's the point. Actually, it was okay. it was they were you know we're not going to move the whole executive team to Boston or fly the whole executive team to New York. Um, so they were looking to make other UK investments as well and build more bridges over here as well. So they joined. So they were called Peakspan, they're New York and Valley based VC, um, and then Downing here in the UK joined in as well. Okay, so that made I, us good. Can I ask? You don't have to answer how much you raised and what valuation you got. Um, we raised about thirty million dollars. 30. 13 million dollars. That's pretty um, pretty handy still anyway. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, at, uh, about a... Well, I have to do the... What is it? Valuation table. It was about 38 million pounds valuation. Okay. Pretty money. Um, so that about... A couple of years ago. 55, 16 yeah, post. Post, yeah. Yeah, nice. So, so yeah. No, so, I mean, and, and that was, you know, that was a, a good fare. That was better than we would have got in the UK, but wasn't completely overpriced, but... And you were revenue generating? Oh, yeah, no, we were definitely revenue generating, but we're not profitable, obviously. Okay. But, um, so the company the company has now got a nice location in the US. You're well-funded. You must be on the beach, you know, get the towel out. This is, this is happy days. The wife's putting down the wish list for you. I mean, is that really where you were? Oh, or? no. The, the, the classic mistake that entrepreneurs make is they see fundraising as a measure of success, right? And it, realistically you should see it as the opposite in a sense you should see fundraising as a measure of failure 
because it no, meant you failed that. to build your business successfully without needing more capital injection and you just had to give up a slug of your company to do that right you just had to you you know you used to own 100 percent, and now you don't own 100 percent, right and every year you do another round you own a smaller percent mm. and you've given that to some other guy who's just written you a check and that's great you've got the money in but there's nothing to celebrate now you've got to work twice as hard now you've got to now you're owned yeah yeah you're, you're owned a little bit and that's no problem you know a good vc can be a good partner to your success um, you know, especially in, in, in tough times, you know, they can go either way, right? As we were saying, they can either be a, a, a part of your success or they can be a, 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 a source of your failure. But let's be clear, you know, having a party after you've done a fundraising is just the silliest thing in some regards. I mean, yeah, if the fundraising journey itself was hard, having a drink and a sigh of relief... But the next day, you have to pick yourself up and get on with the real work, right? Now, you know, you well, really you, have you to just do, just do boo.com and fly your whole staff to New York for a party in in two seven four sevens. I think it was oh. to celebrate funding. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, I, I had uh, I worked as marketing director worldwide for a company called MicroStrategy, and my boss Michael Saylor, the owner, after we did the IPO, just flew us all and family to Caribbean for a cruise. Yeah, just took no. the whole boat over. Fair enough. Well, the IPO, there's normally thing. an exit point for quite a few people, at least. Yeah, so. he became the richest man under 40, but it's still it's just a very funny day. Look, um, when I when I IPO... Our, our t- he won't t- remember us, <laughs> Steve, when he IPOs. He'll be like, Steve who? Sam what? Yeah, he won't answer. He'll have a PA in locking reject, those calls reject. out. Yeah, they, They're only here for what? No, we don't do parties with them. Um, no, uh, on, a, on a more serious note, then. So, um, you know, I mean... Recently, I, I read Mailchimp brilliantly. Um, didn't take any money. They've they've mm. just got a seven hundred million valuation. No no investors. And awesome. to your point, you know, yeah. self funded the whole business through. It yeah. looks like they're doing an IPO as well. Except now. they've yeah. just doubled their prices or something for. Well, they're, they're clearly IPOing, and yeah. so they're, they're going to they're going to front load the revenue, aren't they? And that's what they're doing. So, good luck to them, you know. Yeah. And but but okay, so you've taken money. You, you've you've got a Boston VC things. Or looking, New York, then New York, but yeah, our office yeah. is Boston. Okay, yeah. so. What was the plan after that then? You know, world domination started how? I mean, what was... No, genuinely, I mean, you've raised a a massive chunk of money and you sit down and you you have that five minute... You must have had a quiet walk with yourself somewhere or or sit down somewhere and what do you think to yourself? Now what do I do? Well, it's sort of... Again, the, the fundraising process is never that simple, right? It's not like suddenly, you know, it's not like in the movies where, you know, they walk in, they sit in a room, they sign a piece of paper and you open, open all the bubbly. And it, it, it was so painful to go through all the due diligence. And we went through some very, very thorough due diligence with them. And, and it was great because it gave me a lot of assurance about the health of the company. Because they put us so you weren't the doing the fake it till you make it. Oh no, no, they Good. they were absolutely. They went through everything, every bit of our technology stack, every contract we had. I mean, it was great because they went through every single contract we had, every client, and they were like, "This contract says this, and we're not sure about this contract." And da 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 da. And they didn't like use it as an excuse to to negotiate anything, but they did put in all these warrants that said you have to fix all these things. So it was great. Whenever we think about like a future exit or any other possible buyer for the business, it's like. Is your you know are there any dead bodies that are really going to to stuff you over in a potential future sale that says oh they'll walk, they'll start looking at something and realise that they can't buy you or they can't whatever because of some terrible thing that you didn't know about because you didn't look under yeah. the covers I was like no, no these guys drilled through everything so 
that was a great process in terms of my assurance that the, the, the business was stable and solid and good and, and, and had all the right basis. But it was exhausting. Uh, so just remind me, were you with a co-founder or were you a sole founder? I was a co-founder. You were a co-founder. So, okay. So yeah, Bok, Bok joined me. So my co-founder Bok joined me after the first sort of year, 18 months. And there was a little bit of, even though he was in the US, we weren't even in the same country. But again, back to the problems I was facing raising funding in the very early days, people were like, oh, we don't invest in sole founded businesses. We don't invest. I was like, I have to find a co-founder. I have to find a co-founder. And it started out with Bok just doing like a little odds and sods for me. And I was like, I really need a co-founder. Do you want to join me as a co-founder? Um, because yeah, we were like, they won't, they won't invest in a single, single sole founder business, which I think is silly. Hmm. And, and I think that attitude has changed a bit now. Um, but you still Steve, do you it. invest in sole founders? Well, I, I mean, I haven't invested for a while, but I think the the, the, the market is still um, very much that people do want more than a single co-founder. They want you know someone who's on the CEO techie, well, someone on the who's a techie, and then someone who's on the the, the non-techie, and they marry each other, and yeah. that's the the way the way that it works. Yeah, I mean, we had a bit of a problem that both Bok and I were techie. Um, and so I ended up having to pick up a lot of the business side of things. So I ended up getting very good at writing business plans and all the rest of it. Um, but, you know, I'm hugely grateful to Bob because he took a massive risk in joining us. And, and, you know, he did the same kind of thing. You know, he borrowed money from his sisters. He borrowed money from his parents. You know, we were working all hours in different countries. Um, but, but, you know, it was tough. So uh, two quick questions then. Looking back now with hindsight, which, you know, everything's obvious in hindsight, um, what would you have done differently? Could, what could you have done differently? Well, the problem with doing things differently is like, yes, I made stacks of mistakes. You know, I almost certainly in some regards, I could have started the company three years later for starters. And I was, we were doing some code reviews and the amount of like code in the system that I'd written that never went live, right? Oh, I wrote this whole tool set for doing something or other. Oh, I wrote this whole integration. That took me six months of doing something or other. Or this guy, again, classic one is like someone that turns you down tells you you need to go and do X. So naively you go and run off and do X and it turns out to be a complete waste of time. So there are so many blind alleys and dead ends and things I did wrong. But the problem is that it's, it's a path through the woods and you found your way out the other side. But who knows if you'd taken a different turn, tried to take a shortcut if you'd just fallen off a cliff. Yeah, you were saying so. when we were off air, you know, some people give up quite quickly and start a business every six months because it just doesn't hit the hockey stick after six months, therefore it'll never take off. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and you know, that, that resilience and determinedness that says, no, no, there's a good business here, I just need to keep at it. But essentially my success is the sum of all of my failures, right? The, the, I'm here where I am, both of the good things I did, the, the correct decisions I made, and all the incorrect decisions as well. And there's definitely times where we didn't win that deal but because I didn't win that deal we did something else and then won some other deal and so you you sort of worried about like a sort of ripple effect if I went back and changed anything if I went back and did anything different maybe it would all been a total failure so I, yeah it's no, very I hard mean, yeah. you can never tell I mean yeah. it's, that, it's that famous sliding doors moment you yeah, can never exactly tell that. you can never tell what path you would have gone down it's just it, it's you know I mean, Steve, you might have had the same issue. You know, you look back at a business that failed or succeeded, and you go, oh, I could have shortcut that, or I could, that business that failed, oh, if only I'd just X, Y, or Z it. So the classic one for me is that we got turned down, as I said, we got turned down by every VC in London, many of them several times. And really, our original pitch was about an appointment booking system for SMEs. And there are now, when I started, we were pretty much the only appointment booking system for SMEs, and people were like, 
People need appointment. SMEs need appointment booking systems. I'm not sure there's a market for that. Now there are literally hundreds of appointment booking systems for SMEs. You can't turn around without, you know, we struggle on Google now because all the SME wants to all focus on Google SEO. And there's now like every every city in the US seems to have its own little 12-person appointment booking yeah, system. We, we talked about Acuity. Yeah, Acuity, which has just been bought Acu- by Acuity Acu- Scheduling, okay. yeah, which has it's been bought by Squarespace, yeah. which is a very good idea. I mean, we had... Um, uh, we had uh, Groupon approach us many, many years ago, Tobias, back okay. in the day. Met Andrew Mason, that was quite interesting. Um, and we spoke a lot to various, like Square and stuff, and all kinds of other people who were launching, like website builders and all the rest of it. Um, and they were like, you know, do we need a product that, that does this? And actually, Square bought someone as well. Square bought an appointment booking system. Yeah. And now, yeah. Um, Squarespace has. Yeah, and there's another one called Get Timely that's out yeah. of the, I think, New Zealand or somewhere. Could be. And uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, anyway, but there's loads. Yeah. There's loads. And there's, even, you can get free WordPress things now that just do the same functionality and it's, 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 it's well, no the, they, the, you can't say that Steve they do well, the same functionality well, no, no, but no, in terms of the SME <laughs> simple the, booking it's just a plug-in that is it's a free download it's from, a race to the bottom on the SME yeah. side and that's the problem as I've always said it it's like actually you know you're, you, you're increasingly better off low so you know the features of things like Calendly and stuff are getting better and better and Google's starting to bundle things into Google Office Office is starting Microsoft's starting to bundle things into Office itself because they're realising so Google's now got its own Google Reserve stuff so yeah, this, there's a there's a race to the bottom on the the SME end of things because SMEs. I mean, we when we were selling to SMEs, you know, I mean, we had a driving school, and I think he was paying like nine pounds a month, and he, you know, we had a testimonial from him about how much time it saved him, and you know how many more clients it bought him, and all the rest of it. And one day we discovered he cancelled, and I and I said to him, I was like, well, you know, why why did you cancel? You know, we had a nice reference from you. You, you said how great it was. He said, yeah. I, I was just looking to save costs, and I realised I could do it with pen and paper, so I thought I'd save the £9 a month. And it's like, yeah, if you don't value us you know, to the point of £9 a month, I'm going to struggle in this market, right? So you have got a problem that there will, be a, there will be a change where people will just give it away for free in exchange for the data, Google style, and then people, the SMEs will switch to that. So, which is one of the reasons we got out of the SME market. And what what time frame was this? What what time did you get out of that and move to enterprise? Or was it just a, a natural evolution? It was a bit of a natural evolution. So, we our first enterprise client was actually Levi's, and they approached us because we were you know good at SEO, and and they you know were looking for an appointment booking system for doing um, it was women's jeans fitting appointments. So, getting women into store to make sure they had a campaign called Curve ID to measure okay. the uh, curve of a lady's posterior. <laughs> <laughs> and it was really interesting. They had like three sizes in the UK and four in the US. So they had like something demi and bold. And then in the US they had supreme. Uh, sounds more like a pizza. But um, but yeah, so that was and that was really good because that was our first enterprise clients. But we thought it was a one-off. And then we won pets at home and they wanted to do in-store pet booking appointments. Um, again, they were trying to compete with the pure online retailers and they were like, if people come in for a free dog or cat nutrition health checkup, they're loyal. They they stay. They buy more. They they love the brand. They don't want to shop online. They want to come in the store. And seventy percent of their staff own pets, so it built a relationship with the customer. So the big turning point for us was John Lewis. However, so we started to look in the enterprise space and we were like, <coughs> and I was pitching to VCs. So to finish the point about mm. regrets, right? <clears throat> is is I was pitching to VCs that we were an SME booking system, and I said it's you know there's millions and millions of SMEs, and if everyone pays us ten twenty quid a month, look look at how successful the business can be, etc. And they were just like, we don't see it, we don't get it, we're not funding it. 
And actually, if I had got funding for that and carried on down an SME route, I think the business would have folded, failed. failed. Yeah. It was only out of desperation that suddenly I realised there were these enterprises coming to us and you know, they were willing to pay thousands a month instead of tens of pounds a month. And I was like, they're going to give me money. Brilliant. I'll go with them. And I understand enterprise. I, I can work with enterprise. I'm a you know, software engineer that builds stuff for banks. I know how to build enterprise stuff. I can sell to them. And our big client was John Lewis. And I am hugely grateful to John Lewis for taking a chance on us. So we managed to get into an RFP process for John Lewis, who were looking for an appointment booking system for in-store appointments for all their different services. And we went to a presentation and we they said afterwards when we won, they said we they had us on like 10 different um, sort of scoring criteria uh, from like price to skills to software, technology um, and risk. And they said, you won, and a cultural fit. And they said, you won on every single criteria across the board except risk. You were so insanely <laughs> risky because your competitors were Oracle, Salesforce, wow. Wipro. I mean, they asked Wipro, they said, you know, um, how many UX consultants do you have? And they were like, we've got 10,000 guys in India who can build you an appointment booking system. And they asked me, how many have you got? And I said, we've got one. He's called Luke. He's very nice. <laughs> and he's really good at appointment booking systems. But he's not in India. And he's not, well, but more importantly, he's really good at appointment booking systems. At the end of the day, one guy that really knows appointment booking systems is better than 10,000 that don't. Yeah. And, and that one, right? You, and the funny thing is, one of the things we won on is at the time we were trying to sell to hairdressers. And you want to talk about soul-destroying things. I spent several weekends standing at a booth at hairdressing shows trying to sell hairdressing appointment, hair bookings. <laughs> hairdressing appointment booking software to hairdressers. That's, that was demoralizing and hard. But, but actually, strangely, around here, um, as a fun side business, I, I help build local websites for companies, right? I was right? going to say you cut hair. hair. Yeah, no, look at mine. You don't need to know that answer. Um, and every one of them now has an online booking system. Yeah. Every one of them. But the, the, the funny thing is, it's a very complicated use case, right? You know, women's hair is, is oddly, you know, they've got, oh, no, I've got to, I've got to, I want to, you know, I want to cut the colour of the tint. I want this particular stylist to do this. I don't care who does that. Blah, blah, blah. I want my favourite person to do this bit. I need a development time between this and this. And when we went into John Lewis, they were talking about their beauty treatments. And they had issues, right? You, you know, there's no point booking the the spray tan followed by the full back massage because the back massage will stuff up your spray tan, right? So you've got to get the ordering right. And and so I was able to talk to this to a bunch of John Lewis executives and they were going, oh, wow, we never thought about that. Gosh. <laughs> so we were the only company, because, you know, the Oracle guys were probably terribly nice, but they couldn't talk about, you know, the importance yeah. of your, your hot wax. And, yeah, they could uh, tell you you need 50 gig of RAM to run this yeah. thing on and whatever. But, yeah, so, so yeah, it's a, it's a, that's, the, that's the thing. Like, did I enjoy standing at hairdressing shows? No, that was very, very depressing and, and, and hard. Um, but as a result of having that experience, I was able to, to go to John Lewis and actually say, we know, understand the complexities of some of these challenges you're facing. And we're the experts. And they went, okay, cool. And obviously from winning John Lewis, everyone else goes, I mean, literally someone else stood up on stage at an event and said, well, we just bought the one John Lewis bought. You know, so that was then we got Marks and Spencers, then we yeah, got Debenhams. You, you became got, that old adage, you know, people buy IBM because it's safe. Yeah. yeah, you know, then we won Selfridges, then et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and now you're the de facto. Correct. Which, which, I mean, now we're the ones to disrupt, which obviously makes us the, you know, the incumbent. Now everyone's going, well, we'll fight against Booking Bug. But, you know, that's, that's. Pound in the coin. <laughs> oh, gotcha. Gotcha. I've got it's journey. 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 Journey, not Booking Bug. Yes. Um, so, yeah. 
So, okay, so you've got the enterprise, you've grown the company. So recently you changed the name. We talked about that a little bit earlier. Yeah. You were lucky enough to get the four-letter domain. How did that come about? So that was... So, um, the... I've been meaning to change the name for years. And why? I mean, you know, it said what it did on the tin. Sort of. And it's really funny because people are like, oh, you know, that name. They were like, it's fun and quirky. You know, we got the, you know, it was obviously the classic, like, we could get the .com of it and we couldn't afford to buy. We had no money to buy fancy .coms. Um, and everyone's like, oh, the problem with, you know, booking bug. It's like the word bug, right? It says, you know, your software's buggy. And I was like, actually, that's not the problem. We had a cute little character. People really liked it. We even, we were doing deals with the U.S. federal government. And they were like, oh, we really like the name. I'm like, you're the U.S. federal government. You're not known for a sense of humour. <laughs> and they thought the name was great. Um, I've still got the bottle open. <laughs> exactly. I've got a load, I've got a drawer full of them. We're trying to get rid of them now if you want some. Um, but the, actually, it's the word booking. Particularly as we went to the US, and they didn't use the word booking. They used, you know, appointment or schedule and stuff yeah. like that. So that was a problem. And also, as we tried to move into other markets... Schedule, but don't you schedule. Schedule, schedule, schedule. Yeah, I'm not going to try. Um, or or <laughs> no, as we tried no, no, to do other SCH things... is just SE. <laughs> we, you know, we were doing more events booking, which people think didn't think about the same thing. Or we were doing more queuing and concierge and in-store, you know, arrivals technologies and display screens and stuff like that. So you're doing the whole set of sorts of customer experience tools. So suddenly it's actually the word booking that's more of the problem. So, so the change to journey was... And one of the things we're always struggling with, is, is what I was saying earlier, is you get, you get bucketed into what your technology is. And what we wanted to do was was promote ourselves as the business solution providing the business value rather than just being seen as a technology solution. It's very hard for me as a technologist. We spoke to these, you know, um, uh, external sort of branding consultants and uh, these sort of lovely sort of southern Americans with a nice sort of south, uh, you know, deep south drawl. And he was like, we need to get rid of the nerds. We don't, we don't want to speak to the nerds. And I'm like, I'm a nerd. Leave me alone. But he was right in the sense that, you know, you, when you're talking to a C-suite in a big organization, a, a bank or a retailer, you know, you can't just be seen to be a piece of technology that's replaceable, that's discardable, right? Because the first thing that happens if there's a budget cut, they were like, well, can we do this cheaper? You know, can we can we get rid of that appointment booking system and build a custom appointment booking system, or some you know find a way to cut costs? Because you're just seen as a, a fungible, replaceable thing. You need to be seen as a real business value driver, yeah. creating revenue, creating customer loyalty. You know, creating positive impact on the business. So, you know, the name change to journey is all about. Well, we're experts at customer journeys. We're experts at customer experience, um, and that's resonating really, really well. We actually had a board meeting this morning. And uh, my director said, and the, uh, my chairman um, said, and, and I said the same thing, and we had the same thing, which is no one ever really said that anything that bad about Booking Bug. And he said, no, no one's ever complained about the name. He said, but now we changed it. Everyone's like, oh, thank goodness you changed it. That name was terrible. I'm like, thanks, guys. Uh, but, but it did need to happen. Uh, so... Okay, so we're fast approaching the news, uh, and after the news, I want to talk about where Journey goes. What is its journey? Even yep. uh, I also want to talk about um, AI and where that fits in with what you guys are doing. Yeah. Um, but 
but before we get on to that, um, one of the other areas that you talked about with Journey is is creating a platform and a marketplace. Can you talk a little bit about where you are today with those things? Absolutely. So, I mean, for me, for me as a technologist, you know, I, I've very much admired the growth of, of platforms like Salesforce, right? In, in terms of building a cloud tool set that allows you to build a solution that's, that meets your business needs, right? Traditional. A lot of sort of SaaS businesses are very much, especially on the SME side, are like, here's how our software works, and your business has to fit to how our software works. But of course, on the big enterprise side, you, they're not going to change their business models to you. And in fact, if you don't if you don't bend your software to their business needs, they're going to go and find someone else, or they're going to custom build. So you have to have an immensely flexible tool set. It has to be able to solve weird and wonderful, diverse issues that you've never even thought of yet. Um, and I I started to describe a year ago. Uh, what I, so we had this internal project called Project Khufu, and it was Khufu is the pharaoh that built the Great Pyramid of Giza, and I described it as a, an, a pyramid of abstraction that said you need to build technology that's that's very abstract that sort of filters down a pyramid that solves a lot of different problems. If you're putting blocks in at the bottom, solving one client's problem, the next client's going to have a slightly different problem, and you're going to have to rebuild that again or build another custom solution and you end up building very like warty software as you've built a lot of custom extensions to it. And what I wanted to build something that was very abstract that solved a lot of business problems. It's, it's a tough concept to get your head around. Yeah, well, <laughs> I think that's going to be. And when we come back, I'm going to ask you some odd questions related to Simon Cowell, something he made a statement today, which <laughs> I totally left field. Glenn's looking at me going, what? What are you going to ask me now? Um, yeah, you'll find out. It makes a lot of sense. And um, also, I want to find out what your thoughts are on AI, because um, where does it go? I mean, I, I know that you, you think everyone adds AI to their uh, list, and we'll find out. Anyway, we're off to the news. You're listening to Sam Talks Technology, the UK's number one technology show, at least. That's what Sam told me to say.
system, machine learning. There we go. The, uh, the luck. Welcome back. Uh, band that played at Pub in the Park uh, last weekend. I love them. They're a young London band. Got an American stroke Irish cranberries feel to it. Anyway, they're, they're the record of the week on Marlowe FM. And uh, yeah, if you like them, have a look. Their new album's coming out very shortly. Anyway, less about the luck, more about your luck. No, you, you didn't have any, I think, is what we've learned. Hey, well... There's some as well, right? It was hard work. It's hard work and it's life. Okay. So we were talking briefly about the fact that the company Booking Bug had changed its name. You're now Journey. You were lucky enough to get the four-letter TLD. Um, You're now the chief architect and co-founder. You're no longer the CEO. Um, You were saying, new CEO, is he a UK guy, US guy? He's based in Boston. Okay. So, you know, I've known for the last year... You know, he's one of those things you always say, oh, you know, hire the best people in the jobs and all the rest of it. And it's like, it started to become apparent that I wasn't the best person in the job. Um, and for the last year, I knew that I was struggling as CEO and, and, and I was trying to do too many things as well. I, I wanted to keep my hands in the technology where I was good. And I was struggling with both. I was struggling with being an effective CEO. I think I was, that thing I said earlier about the company grew really slowly. Yeah, was really, really good because it enabled me to mature with the company, right? I learned to run the business because the business was growing so slowly. In the last couple of years, the acceleration of the business has grown enormously, right? When we were growing one person, two person, three person, that was fine. We then went 70 people, 80 people, 90 people, you know, 130 people. And suddenly I was struggling with with politics and divisions and, and problems. And I was like, I am not best skilled to do this. And I think we need... You know, and it's like, look, some of the biggest, best companies in the world, you know, Google, the founders went, we need a better CEO, right? And there's no shame or harm in that. I care that the company is successful more than than my ego or position as CEO. Or title, yeah. And I think many companies have failed when their, you know, founding entrepreneur CEOs have been reluctant to let go of that and then end up being removed by the board. So I think the board were quite pleased when I put my hands up early and said, guys, I want to find a new CEO and I've got someone in mind. I, and how did you how, did you get introduced to this CEO? He actually approached us um, for a different business purpose. For some, um, He wanted to work with us in the US um, with a private equity firm he was doing some business with. And, and I sort of went back to him and said, well, we don't want to do what you're proposing, but how would you like to join us instead? And, you know, and take over the role of CEO. And, and he did. It was great. So he was a sort of friend recommendation from one of our board, um, which was great because he'd worked with him before. He had a great bit, he had a great record of like turning around, growing, and and you know exiting very successfully in in the US. Um, so his name's John Federman, and you know, yeah, he's much more commercial than I am, and that's exactly what the company needed. And he's much more experienced than me, and and actually, I'm loving working for him now because suddenly I've got a mentor and someone I get to see equivalently do my job better and I'm like oh that's what you need that's what I should have done it's brilliant I should have done that MBA (laughs) well yeah maybe I should have done right but it's it's weirdly backwards it's like having failed at doing this exact job myself I now get to see someone do it better so it's really really insightful but then on the other side I'll just go to distracting a bit but there's a a company I'm involved in and it's a a single female founder and she's had a guy come up to her saying I'll be your co-founder giving you 50% of your stock up front. Wow. And, uh... Was that the shortest conversation in the world? Well, no, she thought about it, which was which was scary, because she knows she's not got the skills that she needs to go forward, 
and then there's someone coming along that was promising the world that is then suddenly you know but these are the conditions oh I met a lot of those in my day a lot of people and I nearly said yes to a few of them and one of them I did say yes to and then managed to sort of backtrack that pretty quickly when I realised that I was making a terrible terrible mistake yeah but but you know we but, did but, but they're all you know also but as a as a, as a upcoming founder yeah you know you you look up to people and this guy actually came from a reputable background and but you know is 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 there are sharks out there oh yeah i mean the good thing for me is i've got a good solid mature board right so we very thoroughly vetted and, and made sure that he was right the right person for the business and of course at first they were like no no you're the best person glenn usually and then quickly they were like no actually no it's pretty clear he's going to be great and <laughs> yeah we we loved you for five minutes but, yeah, let's but now actually let's be, well actually what they said and and to answer your 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 inevitable next question which is what am I'm i going to inevitable oh my god but, but it was I, the first thing everyone asked is is oh well that you know, you can. Even, and it did happen for a while, right? We was we were literally just doing this transition at the moment. Everyone's like, "Well, are you leaving? Are you, are you gone? You know, is that you're out?" And I'm like, "No, no, no. Like, let's be clear. That I made it clear to John and the board have been very clear that the company's success is myself and John together is a hugely, hopefully, hugely powerful thing because he's got great commercial executive experience and he's US based, which is enormously helpful. And he's got tons of, he's got a massive black book of connections, which is amazing. And then I've got all my product and technology experience and desire to work my proverbial off and, and, and fight for the business success. And, and I'm back to that now and much happier. Yeah, I, I, yeah and, and it looks like it. But can I, can I, we, we talked about them earlier, huddle. Did exactly that same thing, and so did Datasif. They they changed the CEOs. They brought in US execs, and we we know where they that takes them. Mm. So, how are you putting in stop guards or safeguards? I guess to not have something go off the cliff that you've spent eleven years building. No, I, well, that's that's the major. That's one of the major reasons that I'm staying. Right, that often that transition. So there's there's several things. Often that transition is done by the board. I actually don't know in Huddle's case whether it was done by, by Andy like or whether it was done by the board, but yeah. but you often hear that it, you know the the CEO is going to take some time off or going to go off and do some angel investing or spend time with their family and other things like that, right? I literally the day I resigned, I just got my heads down and started fixing problems we have for clients, right? Because we were, you know, we were struggling a bit with with some of our clients and we needed to get a focus on fixing them. We need to have a real sort of customer focus, and we were struggling with that. And of course, I was CEO. Everyone's like, "You shouldn't be coding, Glenn. You're the CEO." But I'm like, "But I can fix these issues." I was sitting there so frustrated as a technologist, going, "I can make this client happy if you let me touch the code." But as CEO, you won't let me touch the code, so I'm resigning as CEO, and then I can go and touch the code and fix all the clients. <laughs> so I drove everyone slightly crazy, and I have to apologise to my team a lot for that. But you know, we saved a bunch of clients we thought might quit, and and we're turning them all around quite dramatically. And the the, the positive attitude of that afterwards has been brilliant. But, yeah, no, there's no, like, everyone leaves and it's a whole new management team and they drift off the business somewhere else. No, that's absolutely not okay. the case at all. Good. So, uh, as CTO now, I guess, is that chief no, architect? chief architect. What's the difference between that and a CTO? Then? I actually don't have any... Um, Reports. Actually, I have one report. Okay, uh, you just architect. engineered that for yourself. Yeah, brilliant. I, I'm a terrible <laughs> line manager. Right? I'm a terrible people manager. Okay, so now you've got time to do fuzzy ball future thinking then, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Which brings us on to the uh, inevitable uh, AI, artificial intelligence, which Steve's looking at me going, it doesn't exist. It's not a thing. Okay, we will call it machine learning so we don't have a fallout. <laughs> yeah. um, deep, deep learning neural networks, I'm quite yeah, happy. Okay. Either, you know, like, any of them work. You know, I say I have this degree in computer science thing, and my degree in computer science was pretty robust. It covered all the way down to, like, building you know, processes out of NAND gates and everything up from there, like how to build a, an, how to build an assembly language right. out of opcodes and how to do that all the way out. And obviously we did, yeah, you know, we, we did neural networks and, and you know, and, and expert systems. They were just called expert systems in those days, right? And we had a course on expert systems. And, yeah, you've got a lot more computing power now, which actually drives those things that used to just be not really possible to now be much more possible. I'm not an expert in this by any measure. But there is there is definitely the... The marketing men and the the salespeople have preceded the technology. Oh, it's going to fix everything. Yeah, I know. I mean, yeah, you know, in certain fields, it will. I mean, I, I actually have just purchased a, a, a Jetson TX Nano. So the, the sorry, Jetson TX is their sort of single ball computer that you plug in a car, right? And it it, it, it you know it can take ten video feeds. It will take lidar, and this thing is a you know several thousand dollar. Computer, that, but it but it will it will do all, all the autonomous stuff that a car. Will it tell to you do. to leave earlier next time? Probably. <laughs> um, and uh, it's you know the, 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 they realise that people want to experiment with edge edge mm. machine learning, but you don't want to spend two, three, through four thousand dollars on a on a on a, a Jetson TX. So you, they came out with a Jetson Nano, and it literally is. It's got two camera inputs on it. It's got an Ethernet and whatever and whatever on it. And it, it's a, it's an you know it's a ninety nine dollar edge compute board that will do machine learning and, and Google have just come out with their Coral board which is very similar but they are they will do you know they will do image recognition they will do video recognition on this tiny little board and, and do really clever stuff with it okay when, so when we raised our last investment round from the New York yeah. VCs the, our, one of our US competitors had just raised a small round as well and their press release had all been like AI this and AI that and we're going to do AI appointment booking and I'm like really? and I looked into it I'm like this is just Code, but it's not even. What well, it wasn't even any use of AI, right? They just, oh, we intelligently work out when the you know you might be looking at something that might need an appointment, and we use AI to pop up an appointment booking request form, and it's like. You just pop up an appointment booking request form. That's not AI at best. It's like, have you been on the site for five minutes? In which case, ask you if you want to book it's an appointment. Decision trees. Yeah, it's it? best. And I literally went to the investors we were talking to in New York and I said, oh, you know, we've seen they've, they've raised and they're doing this AI thing. And I said, look, if you want me to say I'm doing an AI thing, I'll tell you I'm doing an AI thing, but I think it's mostly just marketing BS. And they went, brilliant. Yes, we completely agree. Excellent. Don't waste our time trying to be. Because yeah, yeah. they were like, we have five decks a week where someone pitches well, it's some. it's VC bingo, isn't it? Yeah. If you haven't got the words AI, blockchain, cloud, and something else and something else in it, yeah. you probably fail on the yeah. uh, VC bingo. Yeah. So, yeah, I went with them. So I, I, can do, I can think of something to do with blockchain. I can think of something to do with AI, but it'll be, yeah, it's... But on a more serious note, I mean... If, if you look at what, you know, Journey's doing is aggregating lots and lots of data. You talked mm -hmm. about uh, you are a data collector, fundamentally. Yep. You're aggregating data at volume, at enterprise. Um, and from narrow AI, which is where we are really today, yep. we're talking about uh, machine learning or deep learning or neural networks being able to analyse that data at volume yep. to find out those golden nuggets. So 
in reality, are, is, you know, a journey starting to look at AI as part of the process of what you're offering? Well, absolutely we are. So, so in reality, yes, you know, within the, once you cut through the marketing and the narrow definition of AI, for us in particular, it's about efficiencies, right? So the, the, we offer two really, really insightful sets of data to, a, to an organisation. Um, we offer an insight in terms of how long a customer has to wait to book an appointment. Any given t- uh, fragment of time of day, morning, afternoon, evening, any day of the week, any store location so I can tell you you know for every John Lewis store for every service someone might have to wait like eight weeks to get an appointment in Bristol on Saturday morning but they might only have to wait you know one week to get an appointment on Tuesday afternoon so you you offer you start to offer real real insights into the sort of what I call a measure of customer dissatisfaction yeah the longer they have Pain to wait points. yeah the more they are the higher the chance they are they're going to go elsewhere now, there's one way to solve that, which is to have loads of staff always available. You can make it they always have to wait less than a week to book an appointment for any given time of day. However, then the counterpoint to that is you've got lots of wasted staff hours. So we do another report that's all about staff capacity utilisation, which is a measure of staff efficiency and equivalently, you know, capital capital investment, capital wasted in your staff time. And obviously, the ideal is to have all your staff busy 100% of the time. That's really easy to do. Have left staff make people wait longer so you've got these two ratios and this balance of like customer inefficiency and customer poor customer experience against staff efficiency and wasted money there it's actually a really powerful balance for a you know retailer to understand because obviously they want to offer great customer service but they can't afford to waste money and time so bringing that data out and bringing together ai tools that allow them to go actually you know what if you employed one more staff member on a saturday afternoon in that store He'd be 100% busy and the customers would be happier. So how can you recommend to businesses structures under which they get to utilise their staff more efficiently, move staff around, run different shifts to actually create better customer satisfaction? And again, that's possible because of the wealth of data you've got and you can mine that data and produce useful insights that you can't get from just reading tabular data. And that's where the kind of AI tools you have today actually do really help and that's the kind of thing we're using it for. But yeah, we started to use the word AI in some of our marketing stuff, but it does hurt me mentally to do it sometimes because I'm like I know it's not you know it, it, but it's the same thing that everyone else is doing it's, it's as AI as everyone else is so you have to go with the flow a bit unfortunately okay so the other area that that is evolving right now looking at slightly futures are our voice enabled uh, devices our voice enabled mm. assistants madam a as i have to call her on the radio because it sets everyone's off and i've yep. got six at home and i really don't <laughs> want to set them all off um although alexa remember to book sam talks technology next wednesday at two o'clock <laughs> anyway other than that um yeah, we call it miss a as well yeah, yeah. um um, well, I start, I've written some uh, um, uh, uh, Alexa you, skills. Alex, yeah, well, you I'm, can I'm say not, that. I'm not yeah, trying yeah. to say it. No, I've written a bunch of Alexa skills actually when it first came out because we were using Amazon Lambda for a bunch of stuff, and you can write them in Python, and now you can write them in, in uh, Node as well. And they're cool. I mean, admittedly, the first use cases I wrote mostly to insult Kareem, my commercial director, because that's funny. But yeah. why not? Um, and then you know, tell jokes and all the rest of it. Um, or make fun of various other salespeople in the office. But, you know, we have started to look at what are the sort of the real-world uses. But, again, we are struggling with the, the balance between you, you talk to a company and they're like, oh, yeah, no, we, we want you to be able to, like, book an appointment with your bank with Alexa. I'm like, really? How often do you... I mean, look, and banks need to surprised. Have- no, I'm not saying for banks, but I was involved with a, doing some due diligence for a company that was a, a brand agency, and they developed a huge amount of Alexa... Early on, knowledge and skills before all these tools are available. That the, yeah, they had a team that was coding Alexa stuff, 
And uh, it was really interesting because they were working with big hotel groups who wanted to automate their booking systems mm. so that you don't have to speak to a receptionist. You'd literally speak yeah. to an, an, an Alexa skill, which then passes you to the right thing at the end. But all the preemptive stuff is done not just externally from the hotel, yeah. but if you're inside the hotel and you, you phone up reception, that was all Alexa. Yeah, Marriott, Marriott's done exactly that. They, they use a platform called Amazon for Business or Alexa for Business, yep. uh, which is a specific version. Uh, you know, the other use cases are going into a conference room, being able to order coffees and being able to order. So, so I'm just curious as to where, you know, that there are use cases clearly out there, not, you know, the fun home ones that we all talked about, yeah. but there are business cases now. Now, and clearly that's another data point of capture because really what I'm you know if I, if I look at it journey really is about the data journey mm. the user's journey and, and why can't that be from a voice no absolutely so we one of the things we're doing at the moment is we're releasing so we talked earlier about it being a platform right so I'm trying to release an app store for booking button and again it's a very cliched path that a lot of companies oh, swear to yeah. hey, that's so, lunch we've got lunch booked now <laughs> I'm like uh, booking bugs buying there you go uh, so with, with Journey we're trying to release a, an app store and and the way I'm trying to take an approach here is actually we've built the ability to install apps on top of Journey and they can extend the system in all kinds of interesting ways. And the, the problem you have with something like an Alexa skill is like if I build an Alexa skill, it's almost certain not to do exactly what a client wants. So it's a classic thing where it'll need to change, it needs to be rewritten. So what we started to do is we're writing what I call reference implementations for things. So I've got reference implementations for integrations into chatbots, integration into sort of single sign-on tools, integration into video conferencing, and chat conferencing because actually the sign of where we're heading with customer journeys is for banks it's like yeah sometimes it's a face-to-face appointment but sometimes it's a telephone appointment sometimes it's a video appointment sometimes it's a robo chatbot right so you need to funnel all the right value of client into the right different things so we're building all these tools and i'm building an open open source api open source um app store where basically we're going to build a bunch of apps and we're just going to publish them all on github so all of our competitors and everyone else can seal the apps. And it's great, right? Because then there'll be Alexa ones. And I've written on Alexa one. And yeah, it does like basic appointment bookings. It can go one way or the other. It can, you can use it as a customer to make an appointment. Or actually, the other thing you can do is you can use it as the business itself. So if you're the business, you can say, like, what's my next appointment? And it will go, your next appointment is with Bob Smith at 3 o'clock. Da, da, da. And then you can do things like, um, add a note to that appointment. Uh, remind me to compliment his, you know, Sam's amazing hair. Yeah. And it will go, great, I've added that note to the appointment. And it writes back to Booking Bug and the API. So we're using it, actually, we found better use for it, actually, for the staff, for the business. Because that's, you might ask questions about mm-hmm. your upcoming appointments, your future appointments, what's my calendar tomorrow kind of thing. Than actually the the customer yeah, I mean, side of things. The use cases will, will be numerous, and it, I'm just I'm curious that you're in the space even doing it because I think a lot of people have the view of Madame A as this this you know little consumer toy for twenty dollars that you put at home. And I think uh, I was at a voice conference a couple of weeks ago in London, and there's one in New York next week. And you know it is becoming much more a serious UI interface mm. because. Why? Why do you want? You know, Steve talked about you know having um, a device in his car, um, the Jetson. Um, you know, I've got an Alexa in my car. You know, yeah. and so those interfaces are becoming much more useful. Well, now Organic can do voice and video as well, so you can do things where it's like, well, actually, that can do my video chat, that can do my voice chat, right? Mm. So suddenly you can have a conversation with your bank. Never mind just the appointment, right? You could be like, well, actually, can I actually speak to someone and it could hook that up. 
so it enables you to connect in all kinds of ways that you know the the, the old telephone is not the only way to, to bridge the connection between the consumer and and, and the business um okay I, I asked you a very odd question earlier or a reference a very odd question earlier about simon cowell you know the x-factor guy he was on the news this week saying that he wants his 10 little 10 year old or little uh, simon cowell jr don't know his real name um to stop going to school because he thinks it's you know unfair and he could learn more at home you've got two young kids and, and i've got teenage children um my, my, my serious question, I guess, is given that you've gone down this entrepreneurial road and you've come out the other end, you know, scarred but 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 successful. I mean, it's a rites of passage. You've yeah. gone through the ups and downs. We all know that. Um, would you advise your children, you know, to go to school like Simon Cowell or not like Simon Cowell says? Would you advise them to do a textiles and accelerator or go to university? I mean, I know it's very early in your children's upbringing, but you know, <laughs> got to think about it. They, they'll listen to this in a few years' time and go, "Really, Dad?" So go on. It's your platform. Tell yeah, them what you want. No, I mean it's it's and it's fundraising two girls, right? And they're 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 clever and you know my daughter's really good at like puzzles and jigsaws and quick absolutely amazing negotiator i think we've decided she can negotiate brexit so. <laughs> <Got> somebody please <laughs> yeah. but uh but you're right it's like you know what you, you, I, I, I always like the warren buffett quote and obviously you know as, as well as i hope to do in the future i don't think i'll do that well but you know that that quote of you know you want to give your kids enough to do anything and not enough to do nothing i think is very very true and you know if i'm lucky with with journey you know i hope to be successful enough to be able to give my kids any opportunity they want but yeah it's like i don't mind what they do as long as they're happy but i don't want them to do nothing right if they end up sort of spoiled brats with ponies that just want to sort of you know hang out in society or something i'll be mortified um but as long as they want to do something i don't care if they're traffic cops i don't care you know if they're tea ladies i I don't care if they're successful entrepreneurs as long as they're happy but you're right you want to sort of encourage them to make the best of their skills be made on chelsea no, no. I thought, I, I thought Love Island. I know. No, no, so no. I think it's a career choice. Um, but uh, but yeah, you know. That, so you know, my wife's the, my wife's a librarian. She's like, they can be a librarian, but you know, they, they can be anything they want. Um, yeah, I don't think I have to take them out of school at ten because I think it's not just about education. And you know, I think there's a whole bunch of experiences at school, both good and bad. I did not like school, um, but I think there's a lot of other things about school that are that are important in education that are important beyond just you know learning maths and. French and science as important as as important as those are, um, but yeah, no, it's tough. You, it's the biggest thing you worry about right now. It's 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 you know what's what kind of future are they going to have and, um, and what kind of opportunities can you give them? Yeah, absolutely. And and sadly, girls are not going into coding. I think. Well, that's that's. So when when my first daughter was born, someone actually said to me, they were like, "Oh, are you disappointed it's a girl?" I'm like, "Why would I be disappointed?" No, they were like, I've got two girls. Well, you could great. You, you, I thought you wanted a boy you could teach to code, and I love it as a, as a nerd, right? It's not like a boy you can play football with. They're like a boy you can teach to code, <laughs> and I was like, I can teach a girl to code. Thank you very much. Uh, you know, this absolutely goes. So yeah, I, I, I'm all I'm all about buying like beginners coding kits for my daughter and and getting them in. Getting them into coding. So. Yeah, I tried that. They, they just Not didn't bother. No, they just. <laughs> 
consume it. As long as they can go Instagram and they get on Snapchat, they're happy. <laughs> Glenn, uh, we've come to the end of the show, I'm afraid. Uh, thank you very, very much for coming in. It's been a fascinating journey, no pun intended. Um, it was a pleasure. Thank you. Steve, thank you for coming in. It's a pleasure, and, as always. And next week uh, on the show, we have Tara Hunt, who's going to be joining us from Canada. So, uh, talking about Woofie, her first book, and many other things. Uh, until next week, thank you very much, everyone. Thank you, Sam. That show was amazing. To listen again, please visit our website, marlofm.co.uk, or visit our Facebook group, Sam Talks Technology. And now you can subscribe on iTunes. Never miss a show again. See you next week. Same time, same place.